Please note, in this episode there are brief mentions of the topic of suicide, which some listeners may find upsetting. Coins were a major aspect of propaganda, and depending on the denomination would depend on the message. This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Millie Wellborn, a museum assistant for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. On 100 Years, 100 Objects, we are looking at a small silver coin. It was probably part of someone's wages, and just like many others they had handled before. The person who lost it could have been a soldier stationed at Lancaster, a trader, or someone living in one of the settlements of the area. But either way, they were living in this area about 1,900 years ago. Today's object is a Hadrian Denarius. The coin is made from silver. Since it was a precious metal, the coin itself is only small, just under 2 centimetres in diameter. Compared to modern coins, it is roughly struck with jagged edges and the image slightly off-centre. But the image and text on both sides can still be seen quite clearly even after all these years. On one side is the face of the Emperor Hadrian in profile. You can still see the detail on his hair and that he is wearing a wreath around his head. The words Hadrianus Augustus are written around the edge. On the reverse is an image of Roma, a seated figure wearing a helmet, quite similar to the representation of Britannia that can still be found on some modern 50 pence coins. We spoke to Dr Colin Penny, museum manager at Lancaster Castle, to tell us a little bit about why the coin would have been in the local area and to learn about the life of the person shown on it, Hadrian. Well, I mean, there are a number of possible reasons for that. The first is trade. The Romans established forts, and around those forts, like the one at Lancaster, would grow, in many cases, a civilian settlement. The soldiers were paid. They had money to spend. Entrepreneurs and other people would move into the area of a fort, establishing businesses where those soldiers could buy what they wanted to buy or spend their money how they wanted to spend it, be it in a tavern or buying a piece of jewellery for a loved one or, or, or whatever. So soldiers tended to be paid in higher denomination coin because it was easier to move around. So gold and silver, uh, the denarius is silver. And so you can see how it perhaps might end up in the pay of someone from the military or perhaps in the pocket of a trader who was doing business in the area. There are, there are many reasons, but those are two possibilities. Hadrian, his full name was Publius Aelius Hadrianus, was emperor of Rome from AD 117 until 138. He was born in Rome, but he was of Spanish origin and he was a close relative of his predecessor, the emperor Trajan. On our coin, there is one part of Hadrian's image that is worn, and that is his beard. Nowadays, you can only see the texture of it below his chin and the outline of his moustache. Colin explained why his choice of facial hair and the depiction of Roma, which can be found on the reverse, were both important political statements. He wasn't the first emperor to sport a beard. There was one other who briefly had a beard, and that was Nero which wasn't a good precedent because Nero wasn't the most popular 
of emperors. What that told the world by having a beard was that you were a Philhellene, you were very, very interested in Greek culture and Greek history and, and Greek literature, and basically all things Greek. Hadrian, as a youth, when he was in school, was given a nickname, Griculus, the Greekling, because that was his main area of interest. And whilst the Romans, to a degree, respected the Greeks, they respected Alexander the Great, they thought that Greek culture, the Greeks themselves, had had their day, they had become degenerate, they were not the kind of role model that a good Roman would have. Coins were a major aspect of propaganda. The obverse invariably had a portrait of the emperor or a close member of the imperial family. The reverse usually had something, a message, that the emperor wanted to get out there. And depending on the denomination would depend on the message, because of course the lower value coins were going to the masses, whereas the silver and the gold, they were going to the wealthier elements, the senators, and particularly the army. And so if you've got a message on silver and gold, it's really aimed at that audience. If you've got it on bronze, it's aimed at the other strata of society. And sometimes, obviously, it's the same message on both. Roma, the personification of Rome, was a goddess. With Roma, you've really got Hadrian saying, Rome is where you should be focused. Look to Rome. He built a temple of Roma and Venus in Rome, opposite the Colosseum. Huge building, you can still see its, its remains, with a massive statue of both of those gods. Not only that, but he also built in Athens. He went to Athens three times, and he spent huge amounts of money there. Those two cities were the main focal points of his entire policy. So if you're in the West, you focus on Rome. If you're in the East, you focus on Athens, which is sister to Rome. Hadrian created a body called the Panhellenian. It was a council of all the cities that could claim Greek descent throughout the empire. So Naples was, was a member of the Panhellenian because it was ultimately a Greek foundation, albeit in Italy. So you create this body which is focused on Athens, and Athens is in itself focused on Rome. And so again, it's all about tying everything together in loyalty to the empire and to Rome. When most people think of Hadrian, one thing springs to mind. Hadrian's Wall. But why was it built and what was it actually used for? Uh, the wall in Britain wasn't the only wall that Hadrian built. He built walls around a number of frontiers of the empire. He built a much, much longer one in North Africa, which is now covered by the desert. He built other walls along the Rhine in particular. When Hadrian became emperor in 117, the empire was falling apart. Trajan had invaded Parthia. He overstretched the military and administrative capabilities of Rome and the empire. And not surprisingly, a number of areas of the empire thought to themselves, let's make a bid for independence. And there were rebellions in a number of areas. Egypt rebelled. There were rebellions in North Africa. There was a rebellion in Britain. And Trajan was actually on his way back to Rome to try and sort all this out. Hurrying back from Parthia, all his conquests there were also falling apart at the same time. It was a disaster. He was hurrying back to Rome when he had a stroke and died, leaving Hadrian with this enormous mess. And it took Hadrian about three years to put it all right, to quell the various rebellions and restore order to the empire. 
He then decided, I think quite rightly, that the empire had reached its natural boundary. It could not expand any further. The proof was in what had just happened. And so he started consolidating the empire. A linear barrier is really no good as a defensive measure. It simply doesn't work. It's not designed for that. It's a message on one hand. It's saying the empire is now over. It's stopped. We will stop building in turf and timber, which is what they did previously. We will build in stone. It's permanence. It gives a message to those inside the empire that this is where we are stopping, and it gives a message to those outside the empire saying, in a way, there's no need to worry. This is where we're stopping. So let's start to learn to live together and that kind of thing. And so Hadrian's Wall forms part of that policy. There were 120 gates in it. It's not meant for defence. It's as much a customs barrier where goods moving in and out of the empire through those gates can be taxed. It did have a military presence. There were soldiers based on it in various forts, but it was more, if anything, a delaying feature in any military campaign. It couldn't stop an invading army, but what could happen was it could delay an invading army in enough time for messages to go back to the legionary forts, for example at Chester and at York, for legions to come up to the wall and then deal with the problem. But basically it, it's an overt expression of Hadrian's imperial policy, which is the empire stops here. Did his wall and his other policies make him a popular leader? That very much depends on who we're talking about. If we're talking about the Senate, absolutely not. If we're talking about the military, you would think he would be unpopular because he stopped expansionism. Uh, the, the, the military were, from that point on, going to be in garrisons, simply patrolling the borders of the empire and the chances of glory and perhaps to a soldier more importantly booty from a successful campaign were extremely limited. The people he was very generous with, he gave money to the people and more importantly he provided building opportunities. Hadrian was a great builder and rebuilder of other people's structures. For example he re rebuilt the Pantheon in Rome. He was an architect himself. It's quite plausible that he designed the Pantheon as it stands now himself. And building meant work. And of course, work was very important in a city like Rome and in other cities throughout the empire. So when he travelled, he invariably spent huge amounts of money on restoring buildings, providing aqueducts for a fresh water supply, all that kind of thing, made him extremely popular. The Senate absolutely hated him for a number of reasons. The first being that very early on in his reign, four former consuls, very high-ranking senators, and in a couple of cases, former generals of Trajan, were executed without trial. Allegedly for conspiracy, but nevertheless, proper procedure would have been to arrest them, take them before the Senate, and have a trial by their peers. That was denied them. They were never given the opportunity to defend themselves, and they were simply killed. Hadrian claimed that he knew nothing about it because at the time he was actually not in Rome. He was in first in the Eastern Empire and later he travelled to the Danubian frontier. He wasn't in Rome until at least 18 months 
after his accession, and this happened before he entered Rome. The deed was carried out by his prefect of the Praetorian Guard, a man called Attianus, who allegedly, according to Hadrian, worked on his own initiative and did it, or you can say that Attianus wouldn't have done it without writing to Hadrian first. So we don't know. Hadrian always denied it, but nevertheless, four senators were killed very early on in the reign. And not only that, but Hadrian was a great traveller. He spent two-thirds of his reign away from Rome. And so he kind of removed power from Rome and from the Senate, and they hated him for that as well. It made the Senate much less important than it really wanted to be. The way the system worked was every, everyone acknowledged the emperor was really the guy in charge, but what was supposed to happen was the emperor would say, I've had an idea, go to the Senate, say, what do you think of this? The Senate would always say, that's brilliant, and then he'd say, great, let's do that. You had to follow that formula, which allowed the Senate to retain their position and their respect. If you take it away from them, they lose that respect and they're not going to like you for it. Emperors like that are seen as much more autocratic, and emperors which are autocratic usually ended up dead. Caligula, Nero, Domitian, they were all assassinated because A, they were seen as very autocratic and B, they were obsessed with all things Greek, just like Hadrian was. As well as the wall, something that Hadrian was famous for was his love for Antinous. We asked Colin to tell us a little bit more about this influential relationship in Hadrian's life. Antinous was a youth from Bithynia, an area which was in Asia Minor, and he was Hadrian's favourite, and it is widely believed that Antinous was Hadrian's lover. Hadrian was married to Sabina. He married her before he was emperor, but it wasn't a match made in heaven. When she died a couple of years before he did, there was even rumours he'd had her poison, which are garbage. He didn't do that. But nevertheless, it just shows that there existed a belief that they disliked one another so much that he could possibly have poisoned her. Hadrian went to Egypt on a pleasure cruise down the Nile with his wife and a lot of the court. And uh, Antinous uh, died on the trip down the Nile. He drowned in October AD 130 in the Nile under perhaps suspicious circumstances. He went out onto a rowing boat and he ended up in the Nile. It could have been an accident. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that he committed suicide. He was 18 when he died and there was no doubt a great deal of pressure on him or he was murdered. That's another possibility that those who didn't like him got rid of him. And Sabina possibly would be top of the list of suspects if that was the case. Either way, Hadrian's reaction went off the scale. He had Antinous deified to be a, a major god, and he had a city built where Antinous drowned, which he named Antinopolis. And the cult of Antinous was propagated throughout the empire. It spread like wildfire. And so you get temples in London. Hadrian was well aware that coming in from the east were other, what were known as mystery cults. The mystery cult of Mithras was one, which, uh, which came from Persia. There was Christianity from Judea. And becoming very popular in the empire because they offered something that Roman religion didn't. Greco-Roman religion said, you pray to the gods, they will protect you in this life. When you're dead, all bets are off. Mystery religions said, it's the afterlife. Our religion gives you salvation. And uh, most of them had a figure 
who was resurrected from the dead. And so, not surprisingly, if you look at inscriptions of Antinous, he is said to have come back from the dead. So what you do is you create a mystery religion which guarantees salvation over death through Antinous, who rose from the dead, but is inextricably Roman and linked to Rome and linked to Hadrian and therefore safe. All within the period 130 to 138, Hadrian died in 138 and then the whole thing ends. Thank you for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We hope you will join us for our other episodes where we talk about everything from sheet music to sherds of pottery.